On Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a young donkey. A large crowd gathered as Jesus made his way into the city and they began to put their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from palm trees and spread them out. And they waved the branches. The crowds went ahead of him and and, and followed him and they began to shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Following Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, he spent Sunday evening in Bethany, a village at the foot of the Mount of Olives, just outside of the city of Jerusalem. And as Jesus returned to Jerusalem on Monday, he noticed a fig tree that had produced leaves, yet it had no fruit. It was fruitless. And Jesus cursed the fig tree. And when the disciples walked by it the next day, they noticed that it was withered. Many interpret this act as a denunciation of the fruitless religion in Israel's leaders. One of the reasons for this interpretation is that immediately Jesus went to the temple where he began to overturn tables and to rebuke money changers who were, who were perverting the temple into a den of robbers instead of letting it be a house of prayer for all peoples. As a result, the next day, Tuesday, the conspiracies to trap Jesus begin to escalate. Israel's religious leaders were set on getting rid of Jesus. And so the Pharisees, the Herodians, even the Sadducees, these very distinct and different groups of leaders, all came together to conspire to discredit Jesus. And in response, Jesus begins to warn the crowds about the hypocrisy of the nation's religious leaders. Jesus pronounces seven woes or condemnations over the leadership of false religion that was abhorrent to God. The next day, Wednesday, Judas Iscariot goes to the Sanhedrin. And Judas, one of Jesus' twelve, conspires with them to betray Jesus. They offer him 30 pieces of silver for his betrayal. And this gets us now to Thursday. As Melanie just read for us, Luke tells us that it was the day of unleavened bread, which was the the time when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sent Peter and John out ahead of the rest of the disciples, telling them to go and to make preparations for the Passover meal. If you recall, the the Passover was a meal that was instituted by God through the prophet Moses just on the eve of their deliverance out of Egypt. God's people lived in slavery for over 400 years until God finally raised up Moses to deliver them out of Pharaoh's hand. And through Moses, God began to afflict the Egyptian people with a series of plagues in, with, with the thought that by provoking them with these plagues, they would let God's people go. But we read in the scriptures that after each plague, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he wouldn't let them leave. And so finally, there was this 10th and final plague that God said he would perform. And, and, and it would be through this plague that God's people would finally be released, that they would finally escape Egypt. He would send an angel of death through the camp of Egypt 
And the firstborn son of every home in Egypt would die. And on the evening before the angel was going to pass through Egypt, the Passover meal was established. Exodus chapter 12 records Moses' instructions for the people of Israel. Moses told them this, The whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and, and on the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat of the lamb that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you. And you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. For the Jewish people, the Passover meal was a sacred practice. It is a sacred practice. One theologian explains that in the Passover meal, it was believed that the past events were made to come alive again in the present so that as the Mishnah puts it, in every generation, a man must so regard himself as if he came forth himself out of Egypt. The point of the Passover meal was to re-enter the story. As if you yourself, though generations removed from the actual event, were participating in the Lord's deliverance. This Passover meal was a meal of remembrance of how the Lord had rescued his people. The unleavened bread that they would eat reminded them of God's swift deliverance. How he did it swiftly. They didn't have time to leaven the bread. They were to prepare unleavened bread. They were to have sandals on their feet. They were to have the staff in their hand to be ready to go when the Lord said go. And at the center of the meal was a lamb. They were to take a spotless lamb, one year old, and they were to slaughter that lamb. They were to collect the blood from that lamb and they were to take a hyssop branch and they were to wipe the blood over the doorposts of their home. And then each family would take the slaughtered lamb and they were to roast it over a fire and the family would feast on the lamb that night. And they would retell the story of the Exodus. This was a meal of remembrance. It was also a meal of permanence to be practiced in perpetuity. They were to come back to this every year. In fact, it is a practice still practiced today. And so Jesus sends two of his disciples. All of the disciples were Jewish. Jesus himself was a Jew. And so they were going to participate in this meal. And so he sends Peter and John out in front of the rest to prepare for the Passover meal. 
But then something strange happens. As they actually gather in this furnished upper room that was provided for them, as as they begin to enjoy this meal together, there's a plot twist. Jesus does something unexpected, and he does something unprecedented. Luke tells us that somewhere in the middle of this meal, Jesus took bread, and he gave thanks, And he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that in the same way, he he also took a cup after supper, and he held up the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus does something remarkable here, something audacious, unless he truly is the Messiah, the Son of God. He doesn't merely add a new element to the meal. He completely refocuses the meal on himself. And what he's telling his disciples is that from now on, I don't want you to remember the Exodus. I want you to remember me. He tells his disciples to eat bread and to drink wine in reminiscence of him. He says, this this bread, this bread broken is my body given for you. And then he he takes this cup and he pours it. And he says, this, this cup is my blood, the blood of the new covenant given and poured out for you. Jesus recenters this entire experience around himself, around his life. And one of the things that's remarkable is that in every gospel account, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and in John, there's one aspect of the traditional Passover meal that is noticeably absent in every account. There's one thing that's missing. Never once in any of the gospel accounts is there a mention of a lamb. you got to remember that the lamb was the centerpiece of the meal. It's never mentioned. And that's not by accident. It's because Jesus himself is the lamb. And in this new meal, his followers would now feast on him and look to him in place of the lamb. He is the sacrifice that leads to deliverance. Christ is the greater exodus who rescues his people from the enemies of sin and death. Christ is the greater sacrifice whose blood atones for sin and covers from judgment. Jesus gives us this practice to replace the old one, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now what's interesting is when Jesus first spoke these words with his disciples in that upper room, we know that his disciples did not completely understand what was being said. They didn't fully get what Jesus was saying, that he was pointing to his imminent death for the sins of the world, that that he was saying, I am the Lamb of God. We know this because in Luke 24, just a couple chapters after 
the passage we're in, we read about these two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. And this scene takes place after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. But these disciples didn't know that Jesus had risen. They had heard some rumors about it, but they didn't know. And as they're walking down this road to Emmaus, this man comes up to them. We learn later that this man is Jesus, but he's, he's shrouded his identity. They don't know that it's the resurrected Christ yet. And he, he approaches them and he asks them, what were you guys discussing while you were on the way? And they tell him, we were discussing Jesus of Nazareth, this prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. We thought he was the Messiah. Jesus says to them, still without revealing his identity yet, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to then enter his glory? And it says, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. That's, that's Jesus' way of saying from Genesis to Malachi or in the Hebrew version from Genesis to Second Chronicles. In the entire Old Testament, he interpreted the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He said, the whole book's about me. It was all about my crucifixion, my death for sinners the whole time. It says, then they came near a village where they were going. And he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now almost completely over. And so he went in to stay with them. And then it says this. As he reclined at table with them, it says that he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then Luke says, and their eyes were opened and they knew it was Jesus and he disappeared from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Friends, don't you see that it's in the breaking of bread? That it's in, in the blessing and the breaking and the giving that these disciples' eyes were opened and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. There's something marvelous and wonderful and mysterious that happens through this meal we call the Lord's Supper. And I'm afraid that often we have a far too low view of what happens when we partake in this meal. Jesus meets with his disciples in this meal as they take the bread and as they drink the cup. Church, Christ is spiritually with us. He is present with us in word and in sacrament. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? When we come together around this table, we are doing something more than remembering. Yes, 
absolutely that. It is a meal of remembrance. Oh, but it's more. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of communion with the Savior. And by faith, the believer meets with Christ who spiritually nourishes us in this meal. John Calvin said it this way. He said, not only does Christ in the Spirit condescend to manifest himself to believers by means of visible, tangible elements. He says, at the same time, by the Spirit, the worshiping church is drawn up into the heavenly worship of the Father through the mediation of the ascended Christ. What Calvin is saying is this. Christ doesn't, not only only does he give us these means of tangibly knowing his love, but that mysteriously and spiritually, he takes us up into heaven with him. Ephesians 2.6 tells us that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. That is a reality. It's mysterious. We have a hard time understanding it, but it's true. And that's why Jesus invites us to take this meal perpetually. Just as Passover was this perpetual meal, so the Lord's Supper is offered to us regularly to remind us of Jesus and to commune with him. I want you to imagine with me the first time the disciples took this meal after Jesus' ascension. Imagine them reflecting back to that night where they sat in that upper room and gathered with him. I want you to imagine them remembering how just a few hours later Jesus was crucified, how his body was broken, his blood was spilled. He was the lamb slain for the sins of the world. Imagine the awful wonder they felt when Jesus, through locked doors, stood among them as the resurrected Christ. And Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, touch my hands, touch my feet. It's really me. It's really true. And then imagine them on a mountain in Galilee as Jesus, just before his ascension, commissions them to go into all the world and to make disciples and promises them, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Don't you know that as they sat down at the table that first time after Jesus had ascended and they took bread and they broke it and they gave it to one another and they said to each other, the body of Christ The blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, Peter, for the forgiveness of your sins, Thomas, for the forgiveness of your sins, Nathaniel. Don't you know that there was a real sense in that moment that Jesus was with them? That is what this meal is for us, church. It's to assure us that Jesus is with us. It's to assure us that we are loved. It's to assure us that we have truly been delivered. Believer in Christ, receive this. As tangible as bread and wine are, 
so real is the love of Christ for you. As inseparable as consumed bread and wine are with your body, to that extent, Jesus has enmeshed himself with you by the Spirit. And so this evening, Jesus invites us to the table to feast with him. He meets us here in bread and wine. And as Thomas touched the wounds of Christ and believed, we take these elements of bread and wine and our faith is nourished. It's helped. And so I want to invite you to come to the table this evening if you are a disciple of Jesus. If you have made the confession that Jesus is your Lord, he invites you to the table. The Apostle Paul instructs us to take this meal in a worthy manner. And so he, he calls us to examine ourselves first before coming to the meal. And so in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to just create some space here for you to do that. You take some time. If there's an unconfessed sin, confess it. If you need to be reconciled to someone, be reconciled. If you just need to sit before the Lord for a minute, you do that. But take a moment, invite the Spirit to help you examine yourself. But also hear this. You don't have to be perfect to come to this meal. You don't have to have it all figured out to come to this meal. This meal is for disciples, but I want to remind you of those two disciples on the road to Emmaus that Jesus sat down at the table with and broke the bread and gave it to them. These were doubting disciples, confused disciples. And Jesus gave them the meal to open their eyes and to help their faith. And so come, doubting disciples. Come, struggling disciples. Come be nourished by Jesus. Come receive him. It's a community meal. We don't come to this table alone. Something beautiful is happening as Jesus gathers around this table with his disciples. If you remember earlier in the Gospels, at one point, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. And he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? But those who do the will of the Father. Jesus reconstitutes what family is. We are a family in Christ. Nobody comes to this meal alone. We feast together. And so I want to invite you to come to the table. We have six tables around the room this evening. There's, there's one here, and there's one here. There's two more on the sides up front. And then there's two in the back. So you can go to the, the table that's closest to you. We want to invite you to come with a few others and come and receive the elements and be served. The bread, which symbolizes the broken body of Christ in the cup, which symbolizes his blood shed for your forgiveness. If, if you're gluten-free and you, you need gluten-free elements, um, we have that um, available. You just let your server know. Once you've taken, we want you to come back to your seats and we'll be dismissed together in a few minutes. I'm going to pray for us. And then you go to the table as you're ready.
Lord Jesus. What a gift it is that you've given us this ordinance, this sacred practice to help our faith. This is a means of grace and you meet us here at the table. Jesus, I pray in this moment you would help us Help us to to consider the reality that you are present here with us in this moment. And that you give us these tangible means of bread and wine to to give us these, these, these vivid metaphors of your love, of your sacrifice, of your presence. Jesus, help our faith. We thank you that you are our sacrificial lamb, that you are our exodus. You are our deliverer who gave your life for us. We worship you, King Jesus. We pray that you would be in this time. We pray this in your name. Amen.